Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, my name is Ece Kocabıçak. I will be chairing today's event. Our key speaker, uh, Davide, is a visiting fellow at LSE Middle East Center and a research associate at the Bennett Institute for Public Policy. His research explores the politics of policy delivery and development. Before joining the Bennett Institute, Davide was a postdoctoral fellow at Harvard Kennedy School of Government and worked for the European Commission on Turkey's negotiations and consulted for the European Parliament. He holds a PhD in Economic Geography from the London School of Economics and Davide's thesis was awarded the 2016 Leonardi PhD Dissertation Prize and the 2014 Atalik Prize. Our discussant, Chartai, is a senior economist at the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development in London. He conducts various types of policy work at the European Bank, where he was previously the country economist for Turkey. Prior to the European Bank, he worked at the Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, and his current research is on international trade, private equity, and banking, with a special focus on innovation and productivity. I'm going to leave uh, the time for Davide to finish his presentation, and then I'm going to ask Chaatai to engage with his this presentation. And afterwards, for the last one hour, 70 minutes, we are going to have question and discussion in our group. For your information, this session is recorded. So when you're asking your question, I would remind you to introduce yourself. Thank you very much. Okay, hi. Hi everyone, thanks Ajay uh, for the introduction. Uh, thanks everyone for coming. As I was saying before, the weather today is fantastic, so it was a great trade-off between choosing on, uh, this uh, presentation or going to, to a pint at the, at the park. Uh, I think you did a great uh, choice, uh, hopefully. Uh, so, uh, obviously the discussion today is about, uh, about Turkey. Uh, and let me start the story. Uh, I see, I assume from, uh, I can guess that many of you might be experts on Turkey or might follow Turkish politics. Uh, so let me start with a picture that you know very well if you, if you follow Turkish politics, uh, which are the 2019 March local elections. Uh, of course, two months ago, uh, the elections were considered as a, a sort of a, quite a big blow for the for the AKP, the AK party, which is the party in power. Uh, uh, the map, of course, doesn't show as good as on a computer, but you can see the difference between the yellowish, uh, which are provinces ruled by the AK party, or to be more precise, provinces whose uh, capital is uh, is controlled by the AK party and provinces uh, whose uh, either ruled by the CHP, which I consider the main opposition in most of the discussion today, uh, in red. As you can see, the same map from 2014, as you can see, uh, and as you know, if you follow Turkish politics, in the, in the local elections recently, the CHP made uh, big gains, uh, while the AK party made uh, big losses. Uh, so the AK party lost uh, probably 10% of a uh, overall vote shares compared to the last elections or close to that and importantly lost uh, key cities. We know very well the cases, I mean, small, um, less uh, cases like Antalya, which is traditionally a swing uh, place, uh, 
Artvin, the, the northeast, but importantly Ankara, uh, who, which had been ruled by the Ak Party for the last uh, 25 years, I guess. If no, I mean the Ak Party wasn't existing, but had been ruled by uh, many uh, and Istanbul, most importantly. Uh, Istanbul, well, these two guys, you know very well who they are. So Erdogan and his uh, a former transport minister and a contendant for the AKP in, in Istanbul. Uh, they were hoping to, to win. I mean, in a way, the, the, the election was, uh, was considered a sort of referendum on Erdogan's rule. And as one pro-AKP supporter uh, stated that in a, when interviewed by, by a, a newspaper, uh, and she was saying, well, Istanbul uh, and myself wanted to give a lesson to AKP. Even if I'm uh, generally a supporter of the party, this time I, was, uh, uh, I felt discontent towards the party, so I wanted to give them a lesson. Uh, this is definitely true. So the, the first picture you could think is that the, the, the AKP is in, a, in decline or definitely in, in crisis. Uh, so while that's definitely true, so while the battle of Istanbul has, has been made by some, uh, some journals and uh, newspapers is, is definitely on, uh, and so uh, this is uh, the, the contestant. Uh, I, you, I, I guess you don't get the, I mean, I, I hope you can get the picture. Uh, so while the battle over Istanbul, perhaps over the uh, Turkish politics in the, in the future is still, uh, still open, I would say that uh, at the moment uh, uh, we like it or we don't like it according to our point of view, but Erdogan and the AKP are still the, the, main, uh, the main players in, uh, in Turkish politics. They are still, in a way, the uncontested rulers in Turkey's uh, quasi-competitive authoritarianism. Uh, I hope the term is not too strong for you. Uh, the term competitive authoritarianism has been uh, uh, framed and, uh, and developed by some political scientists, in particular by Levitsky away to political scientists in the US, uh, one in Harvard, the other one I guess in, uh, in Toronto, and basically to describe how contemporary quasi or non-liberal democracies uh, uh, develop. So basically they say, well, today is the big threat to uh, full democracy or the decline from democracy is not to autocracy, is not to fascism as in the 20th century, but is in, into regimes uh, where elections are still relatively free, as it is in Turkey, but where the, the incumbents uh, have a significant control over the media, uh, control state resources, uh, a control of sort of a state apparatus so to the point that uh, uh, any, any uh, contenders have a serious uh, difficulty, serious struggles to, 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 to contest the, the incumbents. Uh, the typical case is Russia, uh, Venezuela is also another case, and actually Turkey since after, let's say, 2013-14 onwards has been increasingly uh, described as a, such a regime. Uh, of course, the, the, the one could, e could question the, whether Turkey is, uh, is part of this, uh, this group. Perhaps uh, this one might be a question that comes up later. But uh, for now, just uh, bear with me the, the, the idea that the, the Turkey, the Erdogan and the AK Party are the, the uncontested uh, rulers in the, in, the, in the current political system. Uh, so how did we get there? How did we get to a situation where uh, we have a significant, a massive, a, a part in power with a huge, uh, huge control, so there are lots of resources and with a significant advantage in respect to opponents. And uh, again, following Levitsky and this time Ziblatt, another of his co-authors, basically they say, well, to, to reach such a point, the incumbents need to do a lot, a sort of st uh, many steps, like uh, suppressing former veto players, 
like the army and the judiciary. The army was, uh, was known to be uh, super strong in Turkey, was uh, reducing power, uh, probably positive, in a positive development in the, uh, in the late 2000s. The judiciary was slowly infiltrated, probably with the with the with the with the Gulenists and etc. etc. Probably stories that we that you know, uh, and this happened. Uh, so we could think a box in, in, in here. Uh, the AK Party also managed to capture and to uh, to uh, lots of state power, state resources to uh, get into the bureaucracy. And in a way, I would <coughs> say after 2017, after the constitutional referendum, also change, rewrite the rules of the game by transforming the country into this super strong presidential system where the president has uh, massive powers. And last but not least, the, the third uh, uh, triangle of, the, of this holy trinity of uh, uh, competitive authoritarianism is uh, sidelining the opposition. So this is what they say. Uh, I think it's, uh, it can fit uh, to Turkey. Again, we can debate later. My point in the presentation is that actually all of these factors could have not, been, uh, could have not happened if there was for the use of public spending and the, and the, the, and the, and the state delivery by, by, by the AK party. So my claim, my first main claim of today, of the presentation, was that it will be that the public spending plays an important role in explaining the AK party longevity. Uh, so how this would be the case? Uh, well, I would say two, two main uh, reasons. The first one is very simple, that uh, uh, by providing uh, public goods, and uh, in, a, in a way also you see later, I mean, I, I give credits to the AKP by providing effectively uh, goods to the, to the public, uh, the party was able to increase visibility. So imagine that voters uh, need to know to assess how the government is, uh, is running, and, but they don't, know, they don't have information. So the easiest way to, to know whether the government is good or bad is to see what the what is doing for them. And visibility in public goods is a, is a typical uh, way to, to show voters that the, the government is doing things. Uh, interesting, there is a work done by Germans on a a notorious period of German history where they show uh, indeed that the, the provision of public goods were very instrumental in the, in the, in the entrenchment of the, of the National, uh, National Socialist Party in the 30s. Uh, the second point is through which uh, public spending could have uh, increased or extended their party uh, uh, longevity is uh, by providing legitimacy. Legitimacy is uh, is a um, fuzzy concept, apparently, for political scientists, but it's, a, it's yet a good one to explain uh, why, how a government is, a, is able to, have a, to be legitimate, both towards the voters, but, but also towards uh, national actors, like, uh, for example, the judiciary and the army, and to international actors. So, uh, by providing effectively, in part, at least in part, and I will come back to this later, public goods to, um, to, 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 to the electorate in Turkey, the government was able, especially in specific sectors, to show its, uh, its uh, governance credential, and so to show that uh, uh, they were a, a legitimate actor to discuss with. Uh, think about the European Union uh, and the EU nego accession negotiation, where, the, where especially in the first years of the AK party, uh, the, the government was credited for many, many reforms. The same thing uh, with, the, with the World Bank, for example, and the IMF. <coughs> so, the 
first claim that uh, of uh, that uh, the first uh, take out of today's presentation that uh, you should uh, you should uh, I want to underline this this idea that public spending uh, played uh, an important role in uh, in the archipelagoity, and uh, I will actually add more. Uh, the art party was very skillful to uh, kill two birds with one stone. Or, uh, apparently, this is a politically incorrect, so I should say uh, to achieve two deeds with one need. With, however, the idea is that it was able to use uh, public spending to achieve uh, two, uh, two, two objectives. Uh, the first one was uh, improving public service delivery, and uh, I will spend some slides for this. And this is where the, the, the part where the government needs to the credits for, uh, for, the, for some achievements that they have done, especially in uh, flagship sectors. And I will come back to, to these sectors later, so uh, bear with me, wait for me. At the same time, while the part of the story is a positive story, of course, of, uh, of achievements, the other one is highly discretionary spending, actually. And uh, this is a part where, uh, where all the negative stories about the management, especially in the last years, uh, could, uh, could be located. So that party was able to improve service delivery. At the same time, use public monies for two main uh, objectives. The first one was is targeting constituencies or provinces or uh, cities with a more or less spending, depending on what the party wanted to achieve in elections. So it's a typical story of. I'm trying to win votes in one province, I'm trying to reward my voters, so I give them more spending. Uh, and the second one is uh, runs at, uh, not at the, um, at the aggregate level, so this, uh, this story runs at the provincial or city level. The other one is runs at the personal level. So the party was able to build and use public spending to build a massive network of new cronies, uh, a new bourgeoisie, there is quite a lot of work on this. Uh, of people close to the part to the to the to the ruler, and uh, interestingly, uh, the party was able to do the two objectives together. And uh, I will come back maybe in a, in a few slides uh, in a, uh, discussing about health, where there is a which is a paradigmatic uh, example. So let's start with a positive story, with the positive side of the story. Uh, there were throughout the AKP incumbency, especially in the first years, there were massive uh, improvements in uh, how the public uh, in the public uh, system works. Uh, uh, just to give you an idea, here I'm plotting the uh, capital, the number of uh, public investment uh, or capital investment projects uh, carried out each year by the ministry, so by the by the whole state. The data comes from the former Ministry of Development, now Strategy of Budget. Uh, the more projects, this had been tradi a traditional problem in Turkey. So too many projects because every each politician wants to uh, do this project, that project, so lack, uh, lack of uh, uh, too many things and, uh, and eventually none of them was carried out. And as you can see, uh, there are two peaks in the Turkish uh, post-1983 history, uh, the 80s and the 90s, where when there is uh, lots of uh, political fragmentation, uh, in, efficient, uh, in an efficient state, the number of projects goes up. Uh, from the AKP incumbency, the number of projects went significantly down. Uh, I, here I'm also plotting for the years for which I have data, the average completion time of each project, and you can see that the to, along with the reduction in, pro, in, 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 in projects carried out by, uh, by the state in, in terms of uh, capital investment, uh, 
each project was uh, was completed much more quickly. So my point here is that, they, that uh, what I want you to, to to take home is that actually there was a significant streamlining of a. Uh, of, uh, of projects, in particular in this case uh, of uh, capital investment, so infrastructure investment. Uh, a case where you may, I mean, may say this is a very paradigmatic, is the high expansion of the highway system. This was a flagship uh, project, so the government. Uh, in 2003, very few kilometers of highways and dual lane highways. 2012, I don't have more recent data, and uh, forgive me for this horrible, co poor quality grass, but uh, uh, it should give you the idea of how, how much the, the, it, was, uh, it was really dramatic, the, the improvement in the, in, the, in the road infrastructure. Uh, interesting, there are also research showing that this improvement benefited the economy by fostering international trade, etc., etc. Similar story in another flagship project, the health, uh, universal healthcare system, which was very fragmented, a very large uh, uh, number of people uh, did not have coverage in the, in the previous system and the Act Party was able, uh, I mean the, pro the reform started before but mostly were triggered when the, the Act Party came into power uh, in 2002 with the, the Minister of Health uh, Recep Agda who was a former uh, doctor, former physician, very focused, very, very uh, massive focus in improving the system and increasing the coverage and indeed, by 2008, when the universal health uh, care system, which is uh, for the ones who, uh, to give an idea, it's like the NHS in the, in the UK, so the, the equivalent, a free system for every citizen, uh, the system was eventually introduced in 2008, and you did see that the, the share of public expenditure, public health expenditure on total health expenditure increased dramatically throughout the, the AKP incumbency. Uh, interestingly, I do, I'm not showing graphs here, but uh, this improvement mostly benefited the poor, of course, because uh, uh, rich people tended to have uh, uh, private insurances, so this was a redistributive pro-poor uh, reform agenda. And here comes the, 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 the smartness of how the spending was used, because in a way this is a typical policy that uh, policymakers would consider to be efficient, effective, was praised by lots of international actors. Um, by the World Bank, by the World Health Organization, was uh, published in uh, lots of uh, important journals on Lancet, which is this uh, very famous uh, uh, research journal. At the same time, this benefited uh, the, the, the voters of the AKP, so the AKP was instrumental, knew that it would, be, would benefit them. And interestingly, uh, consistent with my story of two birds with one stone, the reforms was carried out by, for example, by uh, contracting uh, many, for example, contracting uh, services to private hospitals, and guess what? The hospitals were many times uh, entrepreneurs close to the to the party rule. Perhaps, uh, I guess, uh, Chata, you may talk a bit more about the link, not on, on health, but on the link between uh, the party and uh, entrepreneurs, and, uh, and and somehow it's uh, it's uh, connected to this uh, to this. So. Along with this improvement in, uh, in uh, public service delivery, the, there was a massive improvement in, in people's satisfaction. So this is a graph. Uh, it's taken from surveys carried out by the Turkish Statistical Institute each year. Uh, it shows the share of people who are satisfied with public services. So they interview each year 15,000 people across the country and say, how satisfied are you with the public services across a range of sectors? And you see, overall, there is a quite substantial improvement. You will see a, a, an even more 
equally uh, impressive improvement if I were to plot the people who are uh, unsatisfied with the services, which is not exactly the opposite, and it goes down. But uh, I'm showing here that the levels of satisfaction in cases like the health services uh, is particularly strong. You can see that an increase improvement in the, in, the, in the services provided by the state were indeed appreciated by the, the, the median voter. Uh, dissatisfaction, of course, uh, led to higher votes or to higher support, and this is the, the first part of my story, to higher support for the AKP. Um, unfortunately, we don't have uh, much data on this. It's a, it's a new research agenda that started to uh, grow, let's say, in the very last, very last few years. Uh, here I'm showing you data from Conda, which is a, a, poll, a private poll firm, uh, about a, um, a survey conducted in 2014. And, uh, and they basically ask, so do you support the AKP? If, you, if yes, why do you support it? And it's super interesting uh, because 41% of people responded because of its public services. Uh, it's higher, <coughs> definitely higher than ideology, party leadership, and other, and other things. Of course, the, you, can, you should take this with a pinch of salt. It's not scientific, it's, uh, but it's, uh, it, it, it provides uh, good uh, food for thought. Uh, more recently, in the very, very last years, there has a few uh, scientific papers have started to analyze the issue in a more rigorous way. Uh, so here I will, I will uh, I present three cases, a paper by this, uh, this three, a paper by Bozja from the MIT, and a paper very recent by Adel Guzel and, and two others, a co-authors, uh, and they all show that the provisions or improvement in public service delivery leads to uh, higher votes for the AKP. Uh, I would say this is the most rigorous one. It's a paper on a healthcare provision in Istanbul. So basically they design a quasi-natural experiment where to, to see, where they see whether uh, the creation of a new health clinic in, uh, in neighborhoods, which was random, uh, increase or not the, the votes for the AKP. And they show that uh, having a health clinic uh, closer to your place, or a, a 10 minutes in decrease in walking distance to the nearest uh, health clinic increases vote, uh, AKP votes by 6%, which is a substantial um, uh, amount. Of course, we don't know. We still we still don't know uh, how it compares, for example, with the other uh, issues. One could think about the uh, polarization carried out by and stimulated by the by the party cadre. Uh, that's uh, perhaps an area for future research. But the the point I want to convey is that uh, there was a significant responsiveness of voters to this uh, to this delivery. Uh, and yet, and here comes the second part of the story, if you want the negative part of the story, this, uh, the, second, uh, the second bird of the uh, two stones spending was, uh, was highly discretionary. So it was, uh, there was this uh, very positive improvements, but uh, on the other side there were uh, significant uh, issues that uh, perhaps will be the second part of this, uh, of this talk. Uh, I already anticipated the two issues. The first one is the targeting for uh, electoral reasons, so uh, targeting one province as opposed to the others to uh, reward voters. And the second one is uh, was building a network of cronies uh, close to the, to the party. Uh, actually, here, well, I will present some results from a recent paper that I finished yesterday, so very fresh. Uh, we took authors where we focus on pork barreling. Uh, pork barreling is exactly this idea of uh, 
uh, how uh, funds or public monies are targeted to one province as opposed to the other to, to reward or to win voters. Uh, I will uh, forget this uh, horrible equation. Uh, what, uh, it's, uh, the novelty of the paper is that we are able to analyze the whole uh, Turkish public budget, so, uh, and we are able to match close to 27% of any money spent in Turkey. And, and, and as well as it, the sectoral subcomponents. So we are able to analyze, let's say, spending in education, as opposed to spending in health, as opposed to spending in uh, construction, etc. cetera. Uh, just a uh, uh, piece of information for the ones who are not expert about the Turkish financial system. Turkey is very centralized. It's a bit like the UK. So uh, <coughs> there are devolved powers, or so metropolitan cities have powers, but the Ankara still play a key role in how spending is allocated. So the government has a high powers in deciding how the, the overall public budget is spent. So this is very different, let's say, from uh, Italy, from Spain, where there are lots of tiers or tiers of government, and so this kind of analysis will be more difficult to carry out. Uh, so, what we find in, the, in this, uh, this analysis? We find uh, evidence of uh, what uh, is called a portfolio diversification. So basically, as I anticipated, the idea that different lines of spending were used for uh, different political objectives. In particular, what we find? Uh, guess what? Uh, the AK party uh, preferentially targeted their strong goals with significantly high amount of investments uh, across uh, the, the whole lines of, uh, of, invest or, of, uh, of, uh, of spending. Uh, holding other things constant, so controlling for the levels of development, etc., etc. The pro-CHP constituencies, or so pro-CHP co provinces were the biggest losers. Uh, this is uh, probably the, 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 the neatest finding, which I guess uh, <coughs> uh, relates also to findings in uh, Chartais and, uh, and some of your analysis, where the, the oppositions are really, are really uh, the biggest losers, controlling, uh, uh, controlling for the fact that the frequency of oppositions, provinces were richer at the beginning, but even controlling for these factors, the party, the party punished them really a lot. Uh, Third uh, finding is that flagship sectors, and uh, interesting, guess why they come out again, health and uh, infrastructure investment, especially uh, after 2009, were spa spared from high discretionality. So they were somehow uh, distributed quite equally across, the, across Turkey, exactly to show the, 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 the good governance credentials of, uh, of the government. So here I was uh, providing, uh, showing you evidence about national elections. Uh, I said that the, the central government plays a big role, but you may see, so national politics may play a bigger role, but uh, still there are local elections. And so here I show evidence from uh, Chatai and, uh, and his co-author, uh, where they focus on uh, the, the this, uh, distribution patterns following local elections. And they focus in particular on uh, uh, credit provided by state banks, and they say they show the same. So allied provinces or provinces uh, aligned to the central government uh, receive disproportionately more state uh, uh, state bank credit. Guess why, when, especially during election time. Uh, obviously, this is the the, 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 the proof that uh, this is done to trying to 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 win the elections. The same, the opposite occurs with non-aligned provinces. So if you, 
If you are from a uh, metropolitan municipality run by the opposition, you receive significantly less uh, uh, credit by state banks compared to uh, private banks during election time. Uh, they also show that uh, this uh, political business cycle is uh, particularly strong in corporate laws as opposed to uh, laws addressed to individuals. So here is corporate law, so laws um, uh, given to firms, and, and so they take it as a evidence. If I correct me, if I'm wrong, to 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 say, well, this is what is done probably to to uh, to help firms to uh, to create new jobs. So it's, uh, the strategy was, okay, we need to create jobs in, in provinces where uh, where we want to win uh, as a way to show that the economy is doing well uh, and uh, and uh, and the government is delivering. Uh, overall, so what can we say? We can say the evidence is to show that there, there were indeed provincial winners and losers. Uh, the, the government was able not only to uh, influence the allocation of uh, monies, but also to influence the, the outcomes. So not only the policy outputs, but the policy outcomes were also influenced. Uh, so in the specific, what I will show you uh, here is a uh, is graphs so plotting the votes for the app party and uh, provincial GDP growth. Uh, just for your information, the, the picture will look very similar if we replace GDP growth with employment growth. Uh, and basically, what I want to convey you is, uh, well, this is from a paper of mine, that the uh, provinces were, uh, grew more or less uh, faster depending on their levels of vote for the government. Uh, in particular, if we focus on uh, the second graph on your right, this is for uh, uh, manufacturing uh, GDP, and you see that there is a strong positive uh, link. This is for the ones who uh, are worried about reverse causality. This is a two-stage square estimator, so it's, uh, does it, it already controls for endogeneity, potential uh, empirical issues you might be worried about. Uh, so, bottom line, there were significant winners and losers in, the, in this uh, political, uh, political distributive games. Uh, interestingly, uh, in line with the evidence about the state bank uh, lending, uh, the growth, the GDP growth seems to go faster or slower according to elec the, the, the election cycle. Uh, this is again from my paper, so this is again the two stages square estimates uh, of average GDP and I plotted uh, across the, the electoral cycle, and you see that uh, there is a, a political business cycle. So the economy uh, speeds up in the, during the election, slows down in mid-years, uh, mid and speeds up again pre-election. And uh, my argument is that this uh, is, uh, is triggered by the, by the, by the government policies to uh, increasing loans, uh, distributing money, etc. So these are the uh, regional winners and losers. But uh, actually, there is also evidence showing that, uh, uh, one second, this is not only at the regional, regional aggregated level, but it's also at the individual level. So what I was uh, referring to the cronies and the individuals. Uh, I look for a graph which could be very easy to interpret. I, I found this one uh, from a, a paper by um, Guraka and uh, Eric Meyerson. You might know the, the paper if you work on Turkey. I think this is the best... Uh, uh, graphic uh, depiction of the of what happened. So the what they they explore is the likelihood of um, private firms to win uh, public tenders. So of course one of the ways to help uh, uh, firms to to 
so to help uh, friendly firms to provide uh, preferential access to public tenders. Uh, so what they should show, they show that in 2008 well, there was a, a change in the rules uh, con um, uh, on how public tenders are, uh, are done. After the change, uh, public tenders which are closed, so where you don't need to show who the different options, so you just say, okay, I, I do a tender, I declare the winner, uh, uh, interesting enough, out after this change, the, the firms which are connected to the AKP become uh, increase massively their likelihood of, uh, of winning tenders. Uh, so to say that there were winners and losers, not only at the provincial level, at the aggregate level, but at the business level in particular. And I guess, Chata, uh, uh, you will add a bit more. So uh, to conclude, and here is uh, my penultimate slide, what I would like to uh, convey today, to stress, is that, uh, well, first of all, that the battle over Istanbul, forgive me these uh, horrible journalistic terms, but it's what the uh, um, uh, newspapers are using. While this battle is, the, is the not over yet, one, the people who are, uh, may still say, well, the opposition is, is growing, the AKP is in a, in a, in a crisis, etc., etc., perhaps. But uh, I still argue that the Erdogan and the AK Party are the, the main players in the, in the country. Uh, and my main claim of the presentation, the first claim is that actually state delivery was uh, key to explain the uh, AK Party rise and also durability uh, in the last uh, uh, 17 years. Second main message that I want you to, go to, to bring home is that actually there was a uh, that the party was able to kill two birds with one stone, as I was saying. So by improving public service delivery, at the same time targeting preferentially or in a, in a, uh, in a discretion, a highly discretionary way, both provinces, cities, and also individuals. You may ask, uh, so, and I will conclude with this, is this model so sustainable first? Uh, where are we going? Uh, of course, the analysis I, I showed you most of the data comes from the first years of the AKP incumbency, so most of the analyses are carried out to on data up to 2014. We know that a lot has been changing in the last years. Uh, this is a question mark, maybe it's a, que a question that we could uh, discuss later, where are we going? So it's, is this a model the, of the two birds with one stone in decline? Perhaps. Uh, just to give a food for thought, here I'm plotting uh, this uh, data from the World Bank. The World Bank uh, develops these uh, quality of governance indicators. And in particular, two indicators are, are very interesting. The first one is uh, on voice ac and accountability. You could consider it as a measure of the uh, of a democratic playing field in politics. The second one is about the uh, government effectiveness. And you could think it as a, the way how the, the government is effective in, uh, in delivering services and goods. Uh, just for comparison, this is the two lower lines are Turkey, the, the upper lines are the UK. In the UK, you see they go a bit up and down, but there is no the clear patterns. Of course, the UK has a higher levels, we, uh, we know this. What I want to uh, draw your attention on is that the uh, there are, well, a, a couple of things. The first one is that the voice and accountability in Turkey increased in the first part of the AK Party incumbency. And then I would say that the, after 2008-9, it started to decrease dramatically. 2016, of course, it decreased a lot. Uh, interesting, at the same time, government effectiveness for many years has kept increasing. While 
uh, voice and accountability was going down. Government effectiveness kept going up uh, until 2013, I would say. 2000, 2013, by the way, is the year of the famous corruption scandals. Uh, so up to this point, uh, indeed, there was an increase in, the, in, in improvements uh, of, how, of the functioning of the, 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 the Turkish government. Uh, the question mark, of course, is for the last period, uh, where both indexes are going down, and so here is my question, if, is it all sustainable? Uh, uh, unfortunately, I don't know uh, the answer myself, uh, and, uh, but uh, this is my conclusion. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. So, Chata, if you like, we can continue with you. Uh, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to discuss Davide's work. Um, so I, um, I've known about your work for some time, and I've uh, you know drawn upon it in my own work as well. And it's uh, it's a pleasure uh, to be here to tell you a bit more about uh, this, uh, but also to push you to think of uh, maybe more um, general stuff. Now, if I could move forward. Uh, so David's argument, as you've just heard, is that the AKP is a very shrewd operator. Okay? So um, the, the, the starting point is that the government basically delivered to Turkish citizens what they always wanted. And that, to me, is not specific to Turkey. As citizens, wherever we live, we expect competence from politicians and governments, and we expect prosperity. And if you focus on the period from um, you know, 2002 when... Um, AKP came to power, um, you look at the first decade, you would um, mostly agree that um, both in terms of competence and prosperity, uh, Turks sort of got what they uh, expected. And I think that actually created a huge um, social capital for AKP to draw on. Um, but in doing so, um, David basically argued that the AKP favored its supporters uh, while punishing areas uh, voting for the opposition, so this entire discretionary spending uh, story, and created its own business elite. Now, based on my casual evidence, uh, having grown up in Turkey, visiting, talking to family and friends, um, I agree with this analysis. Um, I also happen to uh, have done some research, uh, and I tend to know the literature a little bit. So, based on evidence, I fully agree. But I'm going to push you on uh, a few points, and I want to put this in a greater context. Because for me, um, this is a question about, um, you know, what's the natural trajectory for political Islam, or for a type of regime that sort of uh, presents itself as a new solution to what uh, we had previously. Now, um, many of you may not remember uh, back in 2002 when the AKP was uh, campaigning, it, tended to, uh, it promised to end three whys in Turkish. So the first one is yolsuzluk, uh, corruption. The second one is yoksulluk, poverty. And the third one is yasaklar, so bans. Uh, and here they mean both political bans, such as the ban on the headscarf, um, but more generally about the rule of law, about the sense of justice uh, that um, a lot of political uh, Islamists have, have campaigned on. 
Now, in terms of number two, we could agree that it's definitely much lower uh, than the 2002, so they definitely delivered on that front. Number one and number three, I would say, have gone down until 2009, but, it, but they both came back with a vengeance since then. Now, what we need to remember against this background is that the current uh, ruling party derives its legitimacy from popular support and not necessarily ideology. And it was interesting what Davida showed us, uh, because if we were not to look at numbers or if we were to do some, um, you know, um, as back at home we, we would call a coffee house analysis, so, you know, just informal evidence, you would say, well, they're Islamists, so a lot of Turks are conservative, they're Muslims, they vote for this party. So it was really interesting that actually that survey showed us maybe that's not what people vote on. And this is important to understand why uh, the AKP engages in discretionary spending, why there's this uh, big push uh, for manipulating uh, state resources to favor certain areas over others. Now, for me, the big question here is uh, where are we headed? So, Davide compared the uh, Turkish case to the case of Russia uh, or Venezuela. Now, in both, both of those cases, I would sort of uh, look at the leaders and I would sort of emphasize this populist authoritarianism as opposed to maybe the illiberal, illiberal democracies of let's say Singapore or China where the leaders, the names are not as much important but you evolve into a system where you have a single party that is roughly attached to a certain ideology and people come and go but the regime sort of preserves this kind of authoritarianism for me a main question for Turkey uh, is where it's going to go from here. Uh, we could agree that uh, Erdogan is a very powerful leader, he has charisma and all of that, but I would actually tend to uh, think that given the latest constitutional changes, we may be moving from more of this leader-centric system to uh, a party-based system, and that is going to have different impl implications. But uh, for me, let's um, discuss a bit more of the background. So apologies if uh, you do not speak Turkish, and bear with me while I translate this for you. But this comes from the same research report that Davide used. Um, it's looking at the uh, 2014 local election outcomes. It's asking, how did your economic circumstances change over the past years, over the past one year? Now, for people who say, uh, my economic circumstances have improved a lot, 81% have voted for the AKP. For those who said went fine or went well, 70%. Uh, for those who say didn't change, it's 43%. And for those who say my economic circumstances have gone, real, uh, have gone badly or really badly, uh, you see uh, the share of uh, votes for the AKP. And as you can imagine, the green bars basically represent the uh, opposition. And what's interesting is that when you look at the vote distribution, uh, so this top line shows the percentage of votes that the AKP got, uh, the CHP got, and the other parties got, these two lines are very remarkably similar, right? And then you have this positive correlation. So surely the voters care about the economy. It's not just about ideology. They 
look at what's going on. And there the point about visibility is extremely important because signal competence, uh, you need to sort of build hospitals, bridges, and so forth. Now, the same research report has another question, which went, what do you think of the corruption allegations that also involve the Prime Minister? So at the time, it was Erdogan. Um, now, if you look at the Turkish average, which is the top line, the yellow or green bars basically say, if, if you believe everything's a conspiracy, it's all made up, uh, so this is how many people think that. Um, people who say everything is absolutely true, that's the red bar, and the people in the middle, the blue bar, basically say, um, yes, these corruption allegations are true, but they've all, always been true. So the corruption has always been there. And to me, this picture sort of reminds what, uh, again, people back at home will simply say, well, they're stealing, but they're also delivering. Right? Um, and of course, if you, if you are an AKP supporter, you, you believe this all made up. Um, but what I'm interested in is the Nationalist Party candidates here. Because you might imagine the AKP and the CHP as the opposite extremes. But recently you see that um, the pro-Kurdish party or the nationalists are the ones who will change votes, who will vote strategically. And for a lot of them, actually, they do believe these corruption allegations. Some of them believe they're definitely true. Um, the MHP supporters um, are conservative, like the AKP supporters. And they seem to be saying, yes, these are true, but we will tolerate it as long as the AKP keeps delivering. Now, what tends to happen when corruption gets out of hand is that voters and citizens start realizing who is uh, benefiting, right? So uh, th this comes from the paper that I've uh, written with my co-author and that Davide showed in terms of state bank lending. But we show a different thing here. What this is, is the election cycle, the local election cycle in the awarding of investment promotion <coughs> certificates. So in case any of you wants to do research on this, this is all publicly available data. So the Ministry of Economy has an incentive system in Turkey where any company, any individual can go apply for uh, these uh, incentives. And every month, whoever gets these incentives by name and how much and so on and so forth, are published in the official gazette. Okay. So that's how we collected the data. And what you see is that around local election times, um, some allied promises, so these are promises where the mayors from the AKP, uh, their companies tend to get some of these incentives, maybe not as strong. In the opposition promises where uh, the mayor is not from the AKP, they definitely suffer from not getting these incentives. This is simply the number of firms that uh, have access uh, to these incentives. In this picture, I'll show you the number of jobs promised, because as part of the incentive package, whenever a company applies, they say uh, they're going to um, create so many jobs. So when you see, this goes to what Davide was saying about the uh, tacit relationship between corporates, state banks, and those in power. Because what this is saying is that in the run-up to elections, if your mayor is from the AKP, as a company, you are much more likely to get investment certificates from the Ministry of Economy. Okay. 
Whereas if, you, if you're in a province where your mayor is from an opposition party, then forget about it. You're not going to have access to these investment certificates. Now, for me, um, competitive authoritarianism has too many mouths to feed, right? So popular support can change. If legitimacy derives from electoral support, that can change because voters respond to the economy and they also respond to corruption. So um, I don't think it's you know, as much about ideology being, okay, you know, these are all Islamist people, so we just vote. No, actually, Turkish citizens seem to follow what's happening very closely, and they respond to it. Now, if popular support changes, that threatens legitimacy. So that is one, um, that is one challenge. The second challenge is that capital is not married to any ideology. And I would say this for uh, the holders of um, you know, green capital as well. Business groups can be pro-EU one day and pro-AKP the next. So, distributional spending creates its winners and losers. And if you look at uh, some of the most recent uh, discussions that are going on in Turkey, you see that the typical secular business associations are now voicing more and more concerns about what's happening with the Istanbul elections. Uh, we did not have that uh, for a very long time. Um, for a long time, a lot of business associations would be happy uh, that the economy is being run uh, well and they would not dare speak up. Right now it, is, it, it seems uh, that a few things are changing. Now what uh, we have seen after all this is that political Islam or AKP, you know, whatever we want to sort of package it as, it's failed to deliver its own solutions to Turkey's economic problems justice, education, or corruption. And you see this increasing inequality uh, that a lot of Turkish citizens have uh, started seeing. So to go back to my initial question, you know, does Turkey become a one-party state? Uh, miss great conservatism? Um, uh, is it, does it become a more conservative society where uh, people remain attached to this idea of um, Islamist politicians? Um, and, you know, they're happy to forego the rule of law uh, in return for prosperity. You can give the example of Singapore like that. Um, or is there any hope of a liberal democracy making a comeback? Or this become a one-person uh, rule, which uh, I don't think will happen. Uh, but against all of this, against the discretionary spending that uh, Davida mentioned, um, I think the country comes up to some uh, kind of crossroads where uh, the, the citizenry uh, is definitely uh, more educated and a bit more conscious about what's going on. They're willing to push for changes they'd like to see. Uh, it becomes a matter uh, about how the government responds. So I'll end with that. Thank you very much. Can we pass to this side so we can have questions? <coughs> Would you mind if I start? Just a second. Okay, so we will have questions in the middle of rounds. And as I mentioned before, I would like please introduce yourself and where are you coming from and your name, just brief information. And yes, we have approximately...
Half an hour? Uh, uh, yes. Yes, half an hour. Okay, please, please. Hi, my name is Alf Sabrinasor. I'm the majority shareholder of Asenius Capital, which is an independent asset manager based here. I'm also on the advisory board of Cass Business School, based here as well. I've donated to them, I've funded Cass over the years, and, and we're focused solely on Turkish equities and fixed income instruments. So I want to touch upon your question mark at the end. I was with His Excellency the President on the Bloomberg Summit this year. It was me, Diamond, and, and at the time, uh, Mr. Blankfein, etc. If you remember, he came to the Bloomberg mm -hmm. offices, and there was only 15 people. I was the only Turk, uh -huh. the only boutique business owner, to be exact. So, if you want to touch upon that, upon my experience, what I advised him is, you've got net dollar reserves in nothing. I know a guy, you know, Turkey's got 9 billion left. I know a guy who's got 11 billion in his pocket. So this isn't going to withstand. What he has to do is decrease interest rates. Because whatever interest rate he increases it to, whether it's rhetoric or whether it's policy, done or not done, it's going to keep capital flowing outwards. Turkey is a consumption and, uh, and investment economy based upon debt. Mm -hmm. So the focus there has got to be high interest rates, sorry, low interest rates. Let the currency go to 8-9. It doesn't matter. Ultimately, the men who run the economy will create more jobs, will be mandated to do this. Couple this with lower taxation. You know, he interjected and he said, well, tax is lower in Turkey than the UK. Rightly so, I said, but we've got to compare ourselves against, as Charles Taylor mentioned, Singapore, Hong Kong, etc. Now, looking at this from that perspective, you've got to eliminate luxury goods tax, OTV, in Turkey. Mm -hmm. You've got to minimize taxation to the level where corporate entities, whether it's for a full-time business or headquarters on paper, move them. Mm -hmm. Further to this, he has to go back to a privatization drive. There isn't much to sell, by the way. I mean, you know, I know the assets off by heart. You're looking at OYAK holding, which if you're gonna privatize, you need the military say so, which is very difficult at the moment, which isn't, is unlikely. But if you take that out, you've got maybe $50 billion worth of assets you could privatize. In this market, you'd probably get 26, 25. A lot of the debt that's due on Turkey that's maturing is between the next eight months to 16 months. Yes, and, and the sorry. question, your question. No, I'm just touching upon this because yes. there's a question, as Davide mentioned, that where do we go from here? This was my policy. It's the focus on interest rates. I know keeping it high is your focus area a lot in the West, but you have to understand in Turkey, it's stopping growth. I mean, I'm a man that creates jobs. I put money into the economy. High interest rates for me, I'm not a benefit. This is for me personally. I don't want to generalize for other people's purposes. So my idea is to decrease interest rates, focus upon privatization, decrease taxation, Reaganism, and then fire half of the state workers. You don't need three million men on the payroll. Thank you very much. My pleasure. And any other question? Contribution, question, feedback? Where should I? Yes. Um, not being an expert on Turkey, but I know that the economy has, you know, has slowed down recently. So I was wondering whether this lockdown has uh, taken place in the region that have been financed the most by the, by the current government. And you know, to connect with uh, your question, where are we going with this, and is the model sustainable? So what do you expect in that, in that regard? <laughs> Thanks. And if you don't, yeah. yeah, there's one more question. I'm a Londoner, I'm Turkish born. I try to listen very carefully to your message. You try to stay within the boundary of academia, 
you collect the evidence from sources that it is told from everyone, not really scientific. Then at the end, what message you want to give? Really, it is not clear. Are you a supporter of CHP? Are you a supporter or opposition to you know, AKP? And the last thing, you know that this is a developing country. The education, you know, is struggling in Turkey after Ottoman Empire. You know, many like many other economies. You know, if you see the capital flows from Western countries to developing countries and diversification and the, at the background political pressure, too many things going on, but not known to the people or they don't talk in the public in the openly. So what is your message really? It's not clear. Do you, do you tell people that, yes, Recep Tayyip Erdogan is wonderful man, support him, telephone all your friends, tell, tell them to vote for him, or do you say that, no, 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 don't try to have CHP, you know, at least in the Istanbul, make the point. Mm -hmm. What is your message, Kudretti? Thank, Thank you. you very much. Any well, other questions? Yeah, that's yes, uh, last sorry. question, and then, and then we, we can, yeah. Um, oh, oh, thank you for both of your uh, interesting points. Um, I feel like all the arrows point in one direction to, to a big question. As the government's ability to continue this uh, very shrewd policy of uh, directing funds in the right direction, which you say accounts for its longevity, as that erodes, to what extent will the populace, and more specifically AKP supporters, um, will blame the government for that? Uh, or if they uh, will believe the, uh, the narrative currently being uh, put by the pro-government media that this is not because of the government's own fault, but all sorts of other devious uh, people trying to supplant the Turkish uh, nation. Um, and I want to, and it's a very difficult question to answer, but what do you think AKP supporters will react to that question? Mm -hmm. Okay, so Thank first you. Friday well, and then yeah. uh, Okay, well, interesting questions. The first one on interest rates and Reaganism. Uh, I mean, I take your point, it's probably not uh, linked to the topic of the presentation, in a sense, uh, it's, uh, your point is about how, what kind of uh, macroeconomic policies to implement. Uh, I mean, I take you, you are probably you know much more than me about reserves and uh, these kind of things. Uh, I mean, I wonder whether the connections with the longevity of the of the AK party. Uh, you could claim that the, the AK party may, by doing implementing these kind of policies, may sustain its power. I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a take that you gave. Uh, on the on the economic slowdowns of the regions, it's a super interesting question of which uh, I don't know the answer. So basically, if a if the regions which slowed uh, down the most were the regions which were favored or disfavored. Deep recession, right? deep recession. Yeah, I mean the country is in deep recession. I don't know any uh, regional uh, sub uh, sub analysis. So perhaps uh, if you have any evidence, uh, that would be super interesting. Super interesting point on the political identity. Uh, I uh, first of all, uh, this I mean this is a seminar which is uh, in addressed to everyone, so I will, I will feel uncomfortable to uh, express my personal identity. I'm very happy to talk later, but I don't think this is the, the, the point where I should uh, express my identity. 
I try to give some evidence of both the, the things where the, the government needs to cre be credited and lots of aspects where the government needs to be blamed and, uh, and uh, about mismanagement and that's the final end of my, my talk perhaps. So uh, I probably gave 60% of my talk on the negative sides but there are 40% of the sides which, uh, which were uh, good things carried out by the government. Uh, having said that, I don't think it's the, it's the right point to, to express, but I'm happy to work later. Uh, the final question, the super interesting one, so what, to what extent will, uh, will, uh, will be the problem blamed on the, on the government, by the people? And uh, I don't know really, because uh, the government and their party have been very skillful in uh, always uh, calling about the uh, conspiracies and first the, the international uh, the, which this lobby and that lobby uh, so I don't know I mean uh, I, I could purely speculate uh, I could purely say that probably up to a certain point I mean the data showed by by Charta it was interesting because it shows that the pro party supporters are much more uh, blind to uh, and so much more willing to accept this kind of uh, easy, easy easy stories uh, as opposed to the others so overall I'm pessimistic the case of Istanbul where the, the um, Imamolu has won and is likely hopefully will win again uh, it says a uh, yes shows that perhaps voters are not that uh, don't buy that easily this story so that voters might be uh, indeed rational and, uh, and, uh, and so may not buy these kind of stories these kind of narratives but uh, yeah it's an open question probably yeah I mean I could uh, so the last question um, so just looking at the numbers uh, some of the uh, work I've done with colleagues um, it, it appears in the numbers that Turkish voters respond uh, to employment first and foremost. Uh, other things don't seem to matter as much, but if you're in a crisis, if you're in a recession, you lose your job, then um, that's a big personal development, and um, you know, then obviously maybe the AKP did not cause you that, but people tend to vote against incumbents. So, given where the Turkish economy stands right now, um, I believe that you know even the most ideological supporters could sort of withdraw their support, maybe not permanently, but even on a temporary basis, like David was saying, you know, giving this lesson or sending this message uh, to the AKP support. Um, of course, there's still you know huge populace that votes based on ideology, um, but other than that, uh, if you t take a longer-term view. Uh, the demo demographics suggests that younger people uh, who are more educated, they tend to be uh, more fluid in terms of their political choices. Uh, so that uh, research report that we both cited had uh, some interesting uh, charts about, for instance, um, political support among uh, housewives. Uh, you know, AKP, that, that's one of AKP's core supports, actually. And I don't know if it's uh, studied enough. Um, but over time I think um, things are changing. People definitely respond to what's going on in the economy. Uh, and I think people respond to changes in inequality as well. Um, now, in terms of sort of who do we support and whatever, I, um, I, I don't think the point of, you know, the discussion is to sort of blame the, uh, you know, 
blame any one person or party. I think uh, we would all agree that uh, by any measure, institutions, rule of law, freedom of speech, all of these have gone way backwards in Turkey. I mean, there's uh, that you know. We, I think there are lots of negative signs, both in terms of the economy, but also in terms of politics. <coughs> I think people are speaking up as they should. Um, that doesn't have to be. I support this candidate over that candidate. Uh, but people need to be able to tell what's right from wrong, based on their own education, based on, on based on their own principles, and then whoever they go vote for or whoever they support is um, sort of up to them. You know, if I could just give an example from very close to home, you could take Brexit, right? Uh, sometimes you could make a decision that's not entirely rational from an economic point of view, but if that's what you want to do in democracies, we should be allowed to. Uh, do that. Maybe we commit our own mistakes, we learn from it. And that's how I see the Turkish politics developing as well. In 2002, AKP had a very compelling proposition and they delivered on most of that propos uh, proposition and you have to give uh, credit where it's due. Uh, but, you know, looking at such a long period of time, uh, you would imagine that much more could have been achieved. So when I think about Turkish uh, the Turkish economy or the politics it's a huge potential that's completely unfulfilled and if there's uh, room for uh, us to sort of improve on that then uh, then we should do it in, in one way or another Thank you yeah. uh, Can I perhaps yeah. add I mean it's uh, to be exactly the point was the, the presentation was to, to show the credits of the government especially in the first years but also show the critics uh, the, and the criticism of the last years and, uh, and the evidence I think we we showed it in the last but this year. is in every country if someone is in power for you know three four you know period Yes, yes, and the, uh, definitely fatigue, but it's also definitely uh, there was also a, a sort of a, uh, fall into like the, some of the reforms which are implemented the last year is not only fatigue, the fatigue leads to bad policies, but here at a certain point there was a decision uh, to to take all control of, uh, of institutions and take all of, of power in many areas, which perhaps is negative indeed, but the, the Turkish water seems to be uh, not to buy this so easily all this, uh, this easy story, and indeed they seem to, in the last local election, they seem to have uh, spoken out, so uh, that's the positive side of the story. Whenever a new government comes, every single state worker is replaced. Uh, I disagree, I tend to disagree, uh, but uh, we can discuss it later. Yeah. Uh, I have one question for Chatai and one for Davide. Uh, waters, Davide, usually perceived as urban male waters. Like until Chatai mentioned, uh, no one uh, uh, considers whether or not female waters in urban areas or peasants vote in different ways mm -hmm. if they have different priorities. And uh, it can easily be uh, assumed that the CONDA's uh, statistics also are not necessarily scientific. Uh, their snowball techniques are also problematic and they cannot access everyone as well. So I was wondering if you had a chance to look at uh, the female voters' behaviors in urban areas, particularly under the conditions in which 
uh, only 20% of women can access any kind of payment in Turkey. 75% works either as an unemployed, unwaged worker in agriculture or they are housewives. And whether or not the gendered patterns of social policy really uh, are attractive to female voters. And also peasants, like land consolidation projects in Turkey uh, under the AKP regime, uh, it, it achieved its highest level. So they didn't, for the history of Turkish Republic, they have never had that scale of land consolidation. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering if you had a chance to look at those dynamics. And Chatai, my question is, as you know much better than I do, Turkey doesn't rely on oil gas revenues like Syria, like Russia or Venezuela. Turkey is a country that needs to do business, actually. And uh, with the, this last crisis, I was wondering if you expect the public budget to get really small and how this crisis will affect the public spendings. You can also answer uh, to this uh, voting behaviors and how are, will they still be continue to award and punish and feed some sectors. So these were my questions. If, if there's another question, we can add on top of them. Yes? Michael Mason, Middle East Centre. Thank you very much, Debbie Day, for that um, interesting presentation. I had a question kind of connected with the land consolidation, urban rural uh, voting, which is thinking about the kind of the massive Turkish water infrastructure investment which is taking place over decades and the extent to which the kind of uh, DSI directed water infrastructure, irrigation, hydroelectric power can be seen to be steered in some way in recent years by AKP, or is it somehow following some work, some kind of longer term uh, nationalist trajectory? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think we have two more questions here and here. Yes. Oh, thank you. Yeah, uh, it's a very interesting lecture. Um, some conclusion I'm ascertaining is that early support for the AKP party was from these public expenditure projects. Um, I have a question with regards to capital inflows from the Gulf region. How much was that due to capital uh, from investment from the Gulf region, especially after their election, connected to the Islamist agenda, such as like Muslim Brotherhood? And do you see that Gulf investment continuing, irrespective of which parties in power in the future, AKP or maybe a more? Uh, yeah. So, do the Gulf investors like the Turkish ones? Do they? Flow with the wind or with it. Yeah. Keep listening. Uh, Maybe one more question. Uh, yeah. Last year. Tim, <coughs> so Tim Dome from the Foreign Office, and this I think possibly connects a bit with agriculture and the hydroelectric. Um, I was wondering if the data existed to draw any conclusions about this uh, discretionary spending and the creation of crony bourgeoisie interest in the southeast mm -hmm. and whether the effect of the unrest troubles in um, in the south east has been increased net AKP directed spending on the area or actually a reduction overall in a way of you know refocusing on the, it as essentially a security problem mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah, thanks. Uh, interesting <laughs> questions. So the first one, actually, I think is a question where you should uh, answer because you have much more knowledge uh, about me uh, than me on, uh, on uh, rural, urban and male, female. I mean, the only thing I guess I can, uh, I can try to add is that uh, 
paradoxically uh, the art the, 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 throughout the AKP there was, uh, I mean, very, very minor, but I know of improvements, for example, in, 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 in girls being sent to school, paradoxically, even in, in places which were run by, by, by Islamists. Uh, so uh, whether this is good or bad, I don't know, you may know more than me. Whether the overall effect is, uh, I really don't know, you probably know more than me. Uh, I mean, the gender gap overall is huge, of course, we all know, and, and the situation is, uh, and the policy of making four ki kids per, per family, I'm not sure is the mm -hmm. best, the optimal way to achieve gender balance, but uh, mm -hmm. I leave it to you to transfer if you can. Uh, as for the capital inflow from Gulf regions, uh, I have to say, uh, I'm not an expert, perhaps uh, Chatai or someone else uh, in the audience might know more. I mean, my feeling is that uh, uh, investors tend to uh, care about the uh, interest rates. Uh, from the Gulf, perhaps I would also expect to be very political, where they will stop in the future, I don't know. Uh, I mean, we also know that the politics in the Gulf are very volatile, so the Gulf is not uh, just one entity. So Qatar, as opposed to the Emirates, are different. So and, uh, think about Qatar. Qatar, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, we, I, I don't know more than uh, what probably you already know, the, the fact that there are strong links, whether it will end in the future, I really cannot know. It's uh, I, the, the three, uh, yeah, so I, I leave it there. As for the, the Southeast, uh, I think that's uh, um, an interesting point which I didn't mention in the presentation, but uh, actually I've done a bit of research on there. And uh, among this uh, strategic way of using public resources, actually the Southeast is a, is a super interesting case because it's a, uh, is a case where in the first years of uh, incumbency until 2009, the Southeast was uh, very lagging behind in terms of investment. So um, investments by the by the central state. I'm not comparing to the previous uh, decades, so, but within the AK party incumbency, there was a, a, a total uh, change in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, in strategy around 2009, more or less. Uh, so in the first period, the yeah, Southeast is a big loser, they don't receive money. After 2009, 2010, all of a sudden they start receiving a lot of money in, in infrastructure investment. Um, of course, uh, my take is that uh, this was done as a way, that back then the AK party was trying to broaden their, 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 their constituency, uh, they had a sort of core constituency of AK party supporters, they were trying to, uh, to, to blink an eye to the, to the pro-Kurdish constituencies, which traditionally have been very, uh, a good uh, basing for, for the AK party, especially the, the, the Kurd, religious Kurds. Kurds. Uh, whether this is still going on, I don't know. My feeling, because we don't have data after 2014, my feeling is that in 2015, when there was uh, the national elections and the November election, where basically between June, uh, in, in, between the June and November election, the, the AK party strategy changed dramatically, from uh, getting close to the AK, to the to the Kurds, also because of the collapse of the negotiation with Ojalan. Uh, there was a total uh, swap in strategy. So my take is, my feeling is that after that period, the, the strategy has went back, uh, but I don't know how data. Either way, there was a massive improvement of, uh, in targeting in, the, in, the, in, the, in a period of time. Thank you. Chaltai, would you like to ask well, a question? Yeah, I'll, I'll start with your question. Will public spending continue? Mm -hmm. um, I think it will. Uh, yes, the budget's not in great shape, but the government could always borrow mm -hmm. domestically or externally they just end up paying a high price uh, for borrowing. But, um, you know, they, 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 they will be able to continue public spending. 
Um, and I think they should because, um, you know, if you're in a recession, um, the government can help uh, with spending uh, because it's not nice to see people losing mm -hmm. jobs. Um, so in terms of the other questions, um, I, I could pick up on the Gulf or the Qatari mm -hmm. investment. Um, I, I don't see that continuing if the regime uh, were to change. Um, it's it's purely political, uh, and you know the promises to help uh, you know the three billion dollars or here and there, which you know some people suggest is is, is sort of kept in uh, reserve to help help out the central bank and all that. Uh, but you know I, I would not see that continuing uh, for forever and ever, and it's it's not a big amount of money, anyways. Um, in terms of you know what's going on in the southeast and the investments in agriculture, hydropower. Uh, these are all publicly available, so I, I don't know the numbers very well. Um, my reading is that the, the, there wasn't that much discretionary spending when it came to this area, uh, because when it comes to building things like dams and hydroelectric power, uh, this is national. Uh, so, what uh, the electricity you produce from the Atatürk Dam in the southeast, um, with one switch you uh, send it to Ankara, with another switch you send it to another province. Um, so personally my dad used to work for the DSI um, and um, you know when it comes to you know big hydroelectric stuff it's m much more of a national strategy and they don't tend to sort of think very regionally. Um, there's a very big geopolitical element when it comes to uh, hydropower uh, but I would not say that's related to the Kurdish issue in the south southeast. It relates more to Turkey's uh, neighbors, uh, Iraq and Syria. Uh, but there are obviously the international agreements that uh, determine how much water you could withhold and uh, you could release. Uh, but having said that, that's a source of uh, conflict between the neighbors. And it, it will probably become a bigger issue down the line. Thank you. Any other questions? Final feedback? We'd like to close by saying a few more things then? Uh, no, I would say yes. <laughs> 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 well, thanks everyone for being Thank here for this discussion. Thank you very much for coming.